back in the fur shed, the freshly painted fur shed. This is Jeremiah Wood with the Trapping Today podcast, episode 29. And thank you for tuning in today. I appreciate having you here. Uh, another beautiful, beautiful day in northern Maine. It's June. It's uh, it's pretty cold for June. In this time of year, everything's just kind of a blur. It goes by so fast. There's so much to do. But one of the things I got the chance to do today was to put a first coat of paint on the fur shed that I built last fall. So if you followed along in the podcast, you probably know my story about the my fur shed burning down with the wood stove catching on fire and losing everything last fall and that was Thanksgiving day and I had um, kind of pulled myself together and and uh, rebuilt built a new shed uh, that's uh, on one of those podcast episodes um, from from this winter uh, you can check that out but anyway it was it was quite a little story and I um, I'm kind of rounding the corner and kind of starting to fill the thing up and and uh, it's, it was pretty cool to put a little coat of paint on it and get get the exterior in good order and hopefully get the interior in clean working order for the trapping season. So a little bit at a time uh, as time allows, but we've had some great weather here, really. Uh, uh, windy and dry. Not a. We've been in kind of a drought, so it's been a great opportunity to get stuff painted. So anyway, speaking of the fur shed, um, I I actually had a a goal a few months back, and I mentioned it on the podcast, I believe, that I wanted to start doing a little more writing in uh, in the trapping world. So I've written on the uh, the website trappingtoday.com for a long time now. So I've been writing articles there off and on for many, many years, and I enjoyed that. And it's kind of my own website, and and so I do what I do. I write when I want to write, what I want to write, and people who see it see it, and that's all fine and good. But it really wasn't uh, giving me a great opportunity to get my name out to uh, other parts of the trapping community where there was, um, you know, more readership, uh, maybe in, in physical magazines. So for me, being kind of one of the younger generation, I always think, you know, th- that the physical magazine maybe is a, a sort of a thing of the past, and we're all transitioning to online, web-based uh, first, it was you know looking at your desktop computer, and or now it's transitioned to sort of a tablet or a phone. Now you're not even reading a lot; you're you're listening more, which is of course why I'm doing a podcast. It's just uh, much more convenient to to listen rather than to sit down and read or watch even watch videos. So you know I always assume well that's kind of where we're headed, but uh, you forget sometimes that that is a very long process and there's a lot of people that aren't comfortable getting their information that way so just because I like to do that doesn't mean that that everybody does and so I kind of sat back and thought you know I I really you know I want to be I want to be putting stuff out for people who who maybe aren't going online and like to sit down and and read a, a trapping magazine so I decided I wanted to to write for for trapping magazines and I, I know I'm a, I'm a skilled writer, 
and I I have a fair amount to say. Don't have not not a as good a trapper as uh, many many people who have written, but I I believe I have a, a unique perspective and and a lot of stories to tell. So I started uh, you know soliciting editors of the major trapping magazines. Um, actually, probably we could go over those those trapping magazines um, as we talk about this. Let me see if I can look up. Um, I did an article on trapping today um, several years ago, and I think if you just Google trapping magazines, it'll show up. Yep, there it is. So um, on the the first result on Google, just Google trapping magazines. It's uh, trapping magazines, a review at trapping today. And this is a little dated. I think there was a, a couple that one one that's no longer in publication. But anyway, uh, I went through a review of the Trapping Magazine. So let's just go over them really quick so you get an idea of what I'm talking about. So the first big one is Trapper and Predator Caller. So that was traditionally called the Trapper Magazine. I actually have a, a bunch of old articles of the Trapper from back in the 1980s. Um, really interesting, and it was all trapping. And sometime over the years, they transitioned to um, to combining predator calling in the the magazine and it apparent it's pretty apparent that it was uh, them trying to cater to a wider audience and sell more magazines and more subscriptions and and get better circulation uh, it makes sense that that transition I believe occurred um, around the time that uh, the fur market kind of crashed and and things were kind of hit a low point and it was probably hard to sell trapping magazines at the time. So it became the Trapper and Predator Caller. Uh, that magazine's gone through a lot of transitions over time, uh, but it's still um, it's still up near the top of the trapping magazines out there. I don't know if it's the top circu- circulation. Uh, of course you got Fur Fishing Game, but Fur Fishing Game is... is uh, it's a major magazine that covers trapping as as only one aspect of the magazine. So so you get a lot of hunting and fishing stuff there too. Um, basically, that you know that's catering to the average outdoorsman who tends to often be a trapper. But anyway, Trapper and Predator Caller is is uh, is a big magazine, and they it's interesting because they're kind of they've been leading the way for a long time. But they don't have a super strong web presence or online presence. Uh, although the magazines are available as a digital edition, uh, they don't really have a you know a very um, frequently updated website or social media. You know, so so sometimes if you're just looking on the web, you you almost wouldn't know that that they're still around. However. Um, if you get the print magazine, they are very much alive and well, and and very much producing a quality product, and lots of great articles there. Um, so the other ones we I, I mentioned fur fishing game, um, again by far the largest circulation of all of these, but it doesn't cover just trapping. Um, it, but but fur fishing game is one as a trapper you're going to want to check out because it always has trapping articles in it. Now the new kid on the block, which is actually a few several years old now, it's been going for quite a while, is Trapper's Post. Trapper's Post is um, a lot of you know, you may know, 
the um, trapping writer Bob Noonan from Maine, and Bob started Trapper's Post as a magazine he decided him and his wife uh, decided to uh, to start, and they went head-to-head with the major trapping magazines, and, and they have done an excellent job. That one, super high quality, lots and lots of good articles. It's just jam-packed with trapping information. Uh, Bob is an information guy, all about specific trapping information and neat stories and tackling things from different angles. Um, not necessarily like, um, you know, your experience, your trapping experience or, um, you know, stories surrounding trapping. He's more interested in unique angles um, and, and methods and techniques uh, that trappers would find useful. Um, there are there are interviews uh, with trapper with a famous trapper every month and so on. Um, they they seem to be doing very well in the very popular magazine. A little more expensive. They're only bi-monthly, um, whereas Trapper and Predator Color has ten issues a year. Fur Fishing Game is twelve issues a year. This one's six issues a year. But uh, again, very um, coming on pretty strong. Trapper's Post. So. Um, Another magazine. Um, so, so if you're keeping a list here or a, a mental list of making sure that you have all these magazines, uh, you may want to subscribe to them. Um, we've got uh, the Trapper and Predator Caller, Fur Fishing Game, Trapper's Post. The next one is the Fur Taker magazine. Fur Taker is the monthly uh, publication uh, published for members of Fur Takers of America. So if you're not a member of Fur Takers, um, you don't get this. FTA is a, a really good group. They're they're really uh, into fur bear research and and protecting trapping rights and so on. So uh, this one actually has a, a pretty good um, base of, of subscribers um, and pretty good membership. So that's that's one of sort of the one of the association um, magazines, but uh, not just association news. It's uh, it's really a lot of good trapping information as well. Uh, the other association one is the American Trapper, and this is the uh, membership publication of the National Trappers Association. So uh, this one is quarterly, so it's only published for uh, four times a year, and uh, it's only goes to members of the National Trappers Association. Uh, again, they they work hard, protect trapping rights, and and educate the public uh, about the benefits of trapping. So uh, another good resource to have. Now, um, the next magazine is called Trappers World. Uh, Trappers World is pretty unique. It, it's been up and down over the years. It's gone under different ownerships and so on. Um, Right now, uh, Tom Parr and Tara Roach uh, run the magazine, and it seems to be in a really good position right now. There's a lot of great articles. So Trapper's World has always kind of been uh, advertised as sort of the, you know, the everyday hardcore trapping magazine. All trapping articles for trappers by trappers. The writing quality is not going to be quite as good um, but you're gonna get a lot of really cool trapping if, if you're not really worried about having the best written article or whatever uh, you're gonna get a lot of really cool 
articles from maybe trappers that wouldn't otherwise uh, be writing for other magazines. So it's uh, it, it's a pretty it's a pretty good trapping magazine. Um, I I there's also some big name trappers that write for Trappers World, so it's always cool to see their names in print. And uh, I I have resubscribed recently and got a couple issues and uh, really happy with it so far. So um, the other one and that one that one is um, I I'm pretty it's still bi-monthly as far as I know. Um, you can correct someone will correct me if I'm wrong on that, but it it was monthly and they switched to bi-monthly and I believe I'm getting it every other month. Yeah, it is bi-monthly. Um, and that's, uh, I think it's about 20 bucks a year. Um, those are pretty much it. There's, um, the international trappers, just that North American fur auction magazine. They kind of, they kind of force you to buy it. When you send fur to them, they take it out at 10 bucks out of your check and then send you this magazine. It's actually a really cool one. There's a lot of good information. It's like on really high quality, uh, paper and it's really good artwork and everything so it's pretty cool but it's not really a magazine trap and trail was a magazine for a while and that one kind of went away I, I don't think it's published anymore uh, it could be it was back and forth they weren't really paying for articles they're having a hard time figuring out how to have a magazine that could pay the bills and get enough subscriptions uh, as but I don't believe they are running anymore. Um, there was one Longliner Times that was uh, Clint Locklear, Predator Control Group. He published that for a few years. It's kind of a underground, hardcore trapping magazine, um, real raw, um, real you know motivational stuff for Longliner trappers. And uh, that one is no longer being published, but you can go to Clint's website and you can find uh, back issues of that if you're interested. So that is it for Trapper Magazines. And basically we're talking Trapper Predator Caller, Fur Fishing Game, Trapper's Post, Fur Taker, um, National Trapper, Trapper's World, International Trapper, Trapping Trail and Longliner Times. And just the first few ones in that list are are pretty much what you're going to be looking for today as a trapper. So that was a very long-winded way to tell you <laughs> that um, I've I've been you know contacting some of these editors and and soliciting some story ideas and kind of getting feedback from them. It's been a, a big learning experience. Uh, been rejected some. Uh, I've had some encouragement. Uh, I've submitted several a few articles. And if you get Trapper and Predator Caller magazine, you notice that my first article was published in there in this month's issue, which just just came out a few days ago. I just got it in the mail, and it's an article I wrote on the Fur Shed Fire. Uh, it's called Fur Shed Reborn, and they did they did an awesome job, I think, of putting together the uh, all the different pictures and the formatting and the artwork around that. It was pretty cool all the captions and everything uh, but basically I wrote I wrote a story um, about the whole episode how the fur shed burned down and and uh, how I came about to to you know um, pick myself up and rebuilding that and and uh, it's kind of turned out to be a blessing in disguise so that was just published and I'm really excited about that 
and I believe you will see an article from me in the um, the probably in the next issue of uh, Trapper's World. <clears throat> so I think uh, we're I have one on uh, on Martin and Fisher trapping in Northern Maine. So we'll see. I think that's coming through. I haven't confirmed that, but pretty excited to see that too. But anyway, that was that was really cool. Um, I'd like to do a few more of those and kind of just keep pumping those stories out and, and hopefully uh, kind of develop a, a bit more of uh, <clears throat> a reputation as a trapping writer. So anyway, that is uh, the Fur Shed article. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is beaver tail oil. I'm going to take a very quick break, get a drink of water, and uh, let's. Look, we've been we we want to talk about lure making. I um, and uh, and beaver tail oil. I think is a, a pretty neat subject in the lure making realm. So um, let's uh, let's talk about that. So in the past year, I've kind of developed a a pretty strong interest in lure making, and I've talked about it in uh, previous episodes of the podcast and discussed how you know I've, I really like the idea of making my own trapping lures and experimenting and trying a bunch of different things it really can get quite addicting now I discussed the idea of going through sort of a, a series of topics on lure making and I have not done that yet and I, I do still intend to do that I think I got started on uh, the long distance call stuff and uh, kinda left off from there uh, the reason being, I really have to, I can't just sit down and record something in depth uh, without doing a little bit of research because I'm, I am new to the lure making game. So uh, a lot of the things I, I really want to want to make sure are, are grounded in, in facts and experience and, and uh, more than just um, my ideas on the subject. So it does take time to do that and obviously... Uh, super busy this time of year and I haven't done a lot of that research so I've kind of just flown by the seat of my pants on a lot of it um, on podcast stuff uh, that I have more experience with but anyway uh, I do intend to tackle some of those topics and and hopefully by the time I'm done with it I will I will have uh, a good base of information for people looking to um, to get started in lure making and, and uh, hopefully uh, speed up the the learning process for for people so anyway uh, as part of my lure making uh, adventures um, I I did a bunch of different things this winter and spring and one of them was I decided I wanted to make beaver tail oil and if you're not familiar with beaver tail oil it is not super super um, common uh, but it is around a lot of trapping supply dealers sell it you can find it in catalogs you can find it online and basically um, the easiest way to think of it is just think fish oil so fish oil is rendered sun rendered by basically putting chunks of fish in a jar and the oil is rendered out of the, the meat and the the oil the oily substance that uh, is in the fish is separated out as the fish kind of rots and you use that fish oil to attract animals so beaver tail oil is kind of 
the same deal. Um, but instead of uh, flesh or uh, or fish or anything else, you are using uh, you are taking oil from the fat of beaver tails. So basically, it, if you've ever seen the tail of a beaver, basically it's just this big fat storage appendage. Uh, the the tail is has a leathery um, skin on the outside of it, and when you cut through that outside of skin of the tail, you it's basically just a it's a bone going through the center and then just a bunch of fat. So that is a a very important fat storage area for beavers um, and plays an important role in their physiology. Um, and that ta- that oil is something that we can use on the trap line. So uh, uh, it obviously it is not used for attracting other beavers. I've actually uh, heard uh, a stray um, occasional mention of of using it on the beaver line, but really it's not a it's not a beaver lure. It is a canine lure and in a general predator lure. And for the most part, beaver tail oil is used as a curiosity lure. Uh, it it's something that seems to uh, attract predators, um, really get them digging. Uh, it seems to elicit a digging response pretty strong. It's something that they're not used to smelling, and it's it's they're you know they're kind of they're familiar with what a beaver smells like. Uh, but that tail oil is just kind of this unique substance that really gets them going and gets them curious and and uh, they want to dig it out of that hole and and probably probably want to roll in it and smear smear it into their fur and kind of put on that cologne if you will uh, to to uh, attract other other coyotes and kind of put out that scent just like your dog does um, you get something stinky or something that smells a little different they want to roll in it. They want to rub against it. Uh, if it's in a hole, they want to dig it out. Now, of course, that's how we, one of the major ways we attract uh, coyotes and fox uh, to catch them in a set is to have a scent like that, that that's going to attract them. Now, different people, different trap lines, different parts of the country have varying success with beaver tail oil. Some people say uh, it doesn't work for me. Others say it's outstanding. It just um, the animals just absolutely gravitate to it. They they can't get away from it. They're just they they can't resist the the odor and and all my sets are dug up. So it really depends on your specific situation. And I think uh, like a lot of different lures and attractants, the only way to really know is to try it. So go out and and get some beaver tail oil and make some mock sets and, and try it out. Uh, from what I hear, it only takes a few drops at, at a set, a few drops uh, down a dirt hole, and, uh, and, and they will smell it, and, and uh, if they're attracted to it, that's, uh, it doesn't take huge quantities of it. So beaver tail oil is something kind of unique. Uh, it's interesting. It's, uh, it can be used both alone as uh, in a on its own or in combination with uh, with lure so it can be actually incorporated into a canine lure or it can just be used separately uh, on its own 
and again that instinct it's it's a curiosity it's it's really a curiosity draw that that uh, it's appealing to from uh, from from a canine so how do you make uh, beaver tail oil well if you just want to buy it and try it out you can get it uh, it's anywhere between five and six dollars an ounce you can find it on eBay you can find it from a few different uh, suppliers uh, F&T has it wildlife control supplies has it uh, Southern Snares has it um, and and no doubt uh, several other trapping supply dealers have it I think PCS has it so so you can just buy it try it out it's kind of a it's a dark like a really dark brown uh, substance and it has uh, as kind of a unique um, odor to it uh, and just get an ounce of it and try it out see how it works now if you want to make your own which is what I'm doing uh, it can be rendered uh, very very simple to do it's just like uh, rendering, sun rendering fish oil so uh, basically what it takes is sunlight and heat uh, to break down that beaver tail and and kind of allow the oil to separate out uh, from from the fat um, so basically I, I did a YouTube video on this you can go on trapping today YouTube channel and uh, and find that beaver tail oil video basically showing uh, me chunking up a, a bunch of you basically take uh, you cut the tails off your the beaver when you you catch them and I had like 25 30 tails in one batch and I just had a chopping block and I was chopping them up um, using an axe I was using um, I also used pruning shears that seemed to work pretty good um, basically what you want to do is just cut that tail up into enough different pieces where there's a lot of surface area exposed um, where the fat is exposed to the air and the reason for that is it allows that uh, oil to come out of the tail uh, from a bunch of different uh, locations and it just makes the process quicker so you chunk that up into a bunch of different chunks and you stick it in glass jars you can do it in plastic uh, guys do it in five gallon pails and and it works very well um, but similar to to fish oil the old school way of doing it was just put it in a glass jar in the sun um, I it doesn't seem to uh, off gas very much but it is recommended that you leave the lid pretty loose uh, you want a lid on that so the flies and don't get in there and you don't get maggots and a big mess and everything so you you want it sealed but you want to have some area to allow air to release it's not like uh, you know meat that rots and lets off a whole bunch of gas it's it's really not that bad but you do want to allow the gas to escape and you just sit it in the sun and this is sun heat and time and if you're really hot area get to 90 100 degrees you get a lot of sun that's gonna break down real quick um, my beaver tail oil I I just I prepared it I put it in jars I put it outside here springtime came late it was probably the 15th of May when I put it we finally had all the snow was gone and as it was you know had a good spot outside to put it and I stuck those jars outside of the fur shed and just kind of lined them up against the wall of the fur shed down on the ground and I had I don't know 
eight or ten jars with with chunks of beaver tails in them. They're all, you know, as full as I could get them with the lids on but loose. And I just left them out there. Um, it is almost mid-June, and I've been checking them. We've had some sunny days. We haven't had, we've gotten into the 80s like once, and mostly we've been in the 60s and 70s uh, for the highs um, in the middle of the day. And I'm starting to get oil, but it's a very small amount, and it's got a long ways to go. I could pour it off right now, um, and but I just have to wait and and allow more oil to to accumulate uh, over time. Um, months of July and August, I'm sure um, the oil is really going to be cranking out. But I can tell that it's starting to work, and the tails are softening up because. Um, you know, where I had the jars completely full, they're starting to go down to about two-thirds to half full. So uh, the, the tails are, are kind of uh, taking up less space there and, and uh, starting to break down. So what you're going to have when you, when you sun render this oil, and some people ask, oh, can you just use heat and don't need sun? Um, I don't think so. I think the, the heat, you could do it quickly, but that... Um, whatever's going on in that uh, process of rendering uh, without the sun, the sunlight seems to be an important component of it. And people who do this um, on a regular basis recommend that you, you just take your time and do it in the sun. Uh, what's going to happen, what you're going to see as, it, as that starts to break down is you're going to have two layers of liquid inside your jar or your pail, however you do it. And the, the, there's going to be a bottom layer that's going to be kind of a clear fatty liquid and then a top layer which is going to be a dark, dark liquid. That top layer is your beaver tail oil. The clear fatty stuff underneath is just, um, I, I don't know what it is, a mixture of, of sort of um, sort of some sort of that, I guess, less... Um, pure form of beaver tail oil um, with other stuff mixed into it but that that top layer is what you're going to want so so what I intend to do is take all of my jars and just pour all the liquid out of them into one jar one container and then suck the the top layer off with a syringe you can use a syringe a turkey baster uh, you could probably pour it off if you're not really worried uh, about about getting a little bit of the other stuff in it. But um, I'm going to pull that top layer off. That beaver tail oil probably will run it through something to strain it a little bit, make sure there's no junk in there, and and put it in in jar in glass jars. Now the the dark stuff again. That's your beaver tail oil. The other stuff is is not necessarily useless. I mean, it's probably going to have a little different scent. I think it probably is a little stinkier and um, diff different properties to it than the beaver tail oil, and it may not be as consistent. But uh, you could probably use that as a pretty darn good lure base uh, to experiment with. So it's going to have a lot of the same properties of, of uh, characteristics of beaver tail oil. It's also probably going to be a lot fattier. So um, something that you could use sort of a fatty base. Uh, I'm considering experimenting with that as a, uh, a long distance call lure potentially. 
to sort of incorporate some some of that beaver fat scent to it uh, and then add other scents to it uh, who knows I, I don't know exactly where that'll go that's something I'm, I'll probably play around with and over the next few years and and see what happens so anyway that's that's in a nutshell that is beaver tail oil so it's really if you want to get started lure making and you don't want to do something really confusing you just want to be really simple and straightforward that is a, a great way to get started it's easy it's really hard to mess up just make sure the flies don't get in that jar and make sure that you can uh, you know you let the air out have a place for that air to escape and uh, boy you you almost can't go wrong so that's a good start uh, something you know looking to uh, utilize every piece of that beaver that you trap uh, save the tails and uh, and make beaver tail oil out of them and and try it out let me know how you do so anyway that's going to wrap up this episode of the trapping today podcast thank you again for tuning in um, I do still have that uh, responsive management uh, article on on state wildlife management stuff that I, I want to get to and uh, didn't make it tonight, but I will get it, plan to get to it for next week's episode. also want to talk uh, probably next week on tumbling fur and drumming fur. Uh, Wes had a question about that and I want to go over that. I want to kind of put together a little bit of research on that on different ideas and uh, details associated with with um, the whole drumming process and, and or tumbling process uh, and the benefits to fur quality when you do that. So thank you again for tuning in. Appreciate having you here and hope you guys have a great week. And uh, it's not trapping season yet, but it's trapping preparation season. Hope you're thinking trapping and, uh, and getting ready and getting all your ideas uh, prepared for the next season. And we will catch you next time. Thanks.